got to hit the recording there. So on the podcast, we did just pray. <laughs> um, when I was talking with the Lord this morning and last night, he began to show me something he wants today, and it's going to be a little bit different. I want to warn you up front so you can be ready, be thinking, and engage as the Lord desires you to, to engage. I do believe that there will be at least a portion of today, if not the majority of today, will be open for questions and answers. Based on what was given last week, the word that was given last week, if, you, uh, if you're online, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I really encourage you to go and listen to last week. I do have one other thing he wants me to add to that. Uh, which I'll share in a minute. But then uh, after last week, I had many um, here as well as as online and and outside of here just ask questions about it. And I didn't really think much of that except tried to answer what I could at the time with the time that we had. And then the Lord started impressing on my heart the last couple days that that uh, that might be what he does this morning. And that is, in fact, what he's going to do. Um, he did have me lay out several things that uh, I, I'm assuming maybe it's because these are some of the questions. So, um, But he also did, I went to him after last week, and I, I was just talking to him, and I said, what does it look like, this word that you've given? This word that you've given that is coming not only to this nation, but to the world. In a, in a truly unprecedented time. Things that have, the world literally has never seen in this measure before. What does this look like? Give me a picture of what it looks like. And oftentimes when we ask the Lord a question, we, we already have formulated in our minds kind of what we're thinking that answer is going to look like. You know, what, what I was asking him and asking him that is, is tell me the look of the results of this devastation. What's it look like? And oftentimes when we ask a question, we get an answer at a different level or a different understanding. And I am going to read the answer he gave me because he wants me to share it with you. It's not so much an answer, it will not answer for you just as it did not for me what the grand finalized picture looks like before this readying of the bride. But it is a picture of what he's doing in the spirit. It is a picture of the how that these things come about. So when I was asking him this question, he took me to the book of Ezekiel. And I just know there are going to be confirmation. I know that Shannon has been heavily in this book. And he took me to chapter 9. Now leading up to, and you can, you can turn there, Ezekiel chapter 9. Leading up to this, and, and you have to understand it. First of all, dive into the book of Ezekiel. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. There's so many things in there that are applicable. Don't think in your mind that, that well, this is just all the Old Testament. That's just applicable to, 
to Israel and doesn't really have to do with us. We, we might go over that a little bit later because Paul talks about the mystery being that it has everything to do with us. Has everything to do with us. Do not separate yourself from Israel. Do not yes, of course we're separated in, in the, the aspects of, of tradition, of our bloodline, or whatever. But we are adopted into God's chosen family if we have accepted his son as Messiah. So understand that the mystery that Paul talks about, and we might talk about that here in a little bit, that really included all of us in things that he said prophetically throughout the Old Testament. So in Ezekiel chapter 9, Ezekiel had several, he calls them visions, but it's interesting if you really dive into this, um, <laughs> probably shouldn't open this can of worms, but, but it's similar to what happened to John when he wrote the book of Revelation when he was on the Isle of Patmos. John did not just see visions. John was taken in time to what was to come. Do you understand that that way? He was outside, he's taken outside of time and replugged in at a time when this would happen. I believe Ezekiel had the same thing happen to him. And I won't get into that right now, but, but study it. It's really fascinating. So God was showing Ezekiel what was going on in the temple, what was really going on in, and I'm going to use this analogy, in the church. Right? I want you to picture what is being said is also being said to the church. In this case, it was what was being said of the synagogue, of the, of the priests, of even the high priest at the time, of what was going on behind the walls that the public didn't know about. In the synagogue. Compare that to today in the church. We see it coming out every day. We see exposure coming out of how people's hearts in the bride really are. And these are people in the bride. These are people in the church, people who know Jesus as Savior. But it's coming out. That's what leads up to chapter 9. And, and it's, it's really extraordinary. I mean, there is idol worship. There is sun god worship by the high priests. I mean, no wonder, no wonder Israel was having some trouble. But how about us? No wonder America is having trouble. No wonder the world is having trouble. When you get somebody like Nancy Pelosi up on her podium reading scripture and proclaiming it as her own heart. Oh, man. Oh, man. That just makes me cringe. Because when you don't know the intimacy of the Savior in which you proclaim to know, there is destruction coming in your path. We're going to get into that because that's what it says in Revelation 3 verse 9. That destruction will come to those who say they know Him, but lie, but don't. 
So God gives Ezekiel this, I'm going to say a vision, but I believe he was taken in time to see what was going on in the spirit. Also recognize what is happening here. As you read on in Ezekiel, this has not happened yet. Okay, understand that. There are layers within the prophecy all throughout the minor and major prophets, all throughout the Old Testament, where you see things that are said. And I know for me, who taught the Word of God for 30 years, and just thought, just assumed that this happened. But it did not. This is an example of one of those things. Oftentimes it may happen in measure, but not in full measure. So when I asked the Lord and he took me to this place, he said, this is what will happen in this world. This is what will happen in these United States, but not just the states throughout the world. This is the woe in which we're in. This is God's judgment that is coming. Verse one. Then he cried in my ears with a loud voice saying, Bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. Let me give you a picture real quick of understanding here. This is something going on in the spirit. This is not bring me a couple of men with swords. Okay, we know that because as we read further in Ezekiel, we know that two thirds, two thirds of that portion slaughtered two-thirds this is not something that now now don't equate that with what i said last week my point is this and you understanding what we're reading here this is in the spirit and these men if you will that have these swords these destroyers they are angels Bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand. And with them was a man clothed in linen with a white, with a writing case at his waist. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of God of Israel had gone up from the cherub, on which it rested to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen, who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others he said in my hearing, Pass through the city after him and strike. Your eyes, your eyes shall not spare and you shall have no pity. Kill old men outright. Young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the house. Then he said to them, defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. So they went out and struck in the city. And while they were striking and I was left alone, I fell on my face and cried. 
Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in the outpouring of your wrath on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, the guilt of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. The land is full of blood and the city full of injustice. For they say the Lord has forsaken the land and the Lord does not see. As for me, my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will bring their deeds upon their heads. And behold, the man clothed in linen with the writing case at his waist brought back the word saying, I have done as you commanded me. And the Lord took me to this place. It was on the understanding of what was coming. What was to play out in this three and a half years that the Lord said, is this woe? What I believe he wanted me to point out was what it said. Hold on. What it said back in verse four. The Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. First of all, this is an example that these were not actual men because they would not know a person's heart. However, the Lord does know the heart. With what was said last week that is coming, with this devastation of a third of the population of this world being taken, it is written on your forehead what your heart says toward God. There is a safety when we are, our hearts are for God, our hearts want Him. It's not a safety. Understand this. This is the separation of justification of sin and sanctification or relationship. It's not a safety just because you are saved. That promises you heaven. And praise God. That will always be, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, that will always be your inheritance. But it does not mean that we do not have trouble and difficulty here on this earth. Because that has to do with what we say to him. What we say in our yes to him. If I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, and then I just move in my own way, in my own passions, my own lust, do you not think that I will pay a consequence for my sin? course. I mean, that's just pretty basic, right? Well, in a time of judgment, which is different than other times, in a time of judgment, there is safety when we press into him, not only being his child, but saying, Lord, I trust you for what you want. This he has put in motion. This he has done. And 
to, to add on something else that he, he told me last week. And he reminded me after, uh, I want to say it was maybe Monday. Because I think last week I, I told you that I knew of two categories that the Lord had said, right? And he, did, he reminded me of a third that he had told me. And those three categories, as it says in Revelation chapter 9, that, that that death was broken down into three categories. Those The two that, that I had said last week were the sword and pestilence. And it's up to you to go before the Lord to see what that means. Pestilence is, is uh, a disease, that sort of thing, right? The, uh, the plague and stuff like that was, was considered pestilence. The sword could be war, could be getting mugged. And who knows? I don't know. I'm not going to interpret this for you. I'm just going to tell you what he told me. But the third is natural disaster. He said, my creation that is groaning in this change of the bride becoming ready will go through active change itself. And we've seen signs of that. We saw signs of that just this last week with Ida. Right? It's funny how... There wasn't even that much talk up about Ida like there was. Remember Sandy when Sandy hit and the, this was just and and even that the the devastation from it was so much bigger than what the talk was. And that's the same with Ida as well, but we're we're going to see the creation is going to come in these natural disasters. It's groaning because the, the creator himself has not been placed in charge by the hearts of his people. And that's what God wants. So creation is groaning along with mankind. But I do want to... You're not talking about tribulation in Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that's, that's what I'm getting into now. I want to get into the part that is a question and answer, and really, really, it's question and answer about anything, but, um, but one of the things that was asked to me a lot last week is, is this the tribulation? Is this the tribulation period that, that we see in Revelation, that we see in the 70th week of Daniel? And no, it is not. And I, I've said that before, but I want to explain that, and I want to answer questions about that um, if there are any. And, and by the way, if there are questions, Alexis is going to have the microphone, or somebody will. Cole will. Okay, Cole will have the microphone. He'll just see your hand. And, and we'll go from there. We, we do want the question to be online. And, and I've already told Michael, um, if there is a question from, uh, from anybody in Nigeria, he's going to text me and, and, uh, I'll try to hopefully see it. So you may want to text Alexis too. Um, but I do want to begin, um, in going the direction of this statement. This is not the tribulation. I want to go and explain to you where I first got that. And I'm going to track a little bit. I want to do this quickly, hopefully. Um, track a little bit with where God took me in understanding this idea of the bride becoming ready. Because I don't know about you. Okay, I'm going to say something that's going to be um, highly offensive 
to where I would have been 10 years ago. I would have been very offended by what I am about to say, okay? Um, I grew up believing that there is nothing left before Jesus comes. We're just waiting. That he could come at any moment, and we're to look and be ready, which that, that by the way, is true, and we're always to be ready, right? But I thought that, and I've shared this before, that things are just going to get, hopefully, so bad to the point where God just feels sorry enough for us that he comes back and fixes it all for his bride. And that's, that's a pretty naive uh, naive way to look at something, but, but that's, that's how I looked at it, that's how I taught. And I don't know how many years ago, this, this was years ago, God, I, w- I was going through the book of Revelation, which I often do, and the Lord showed me something that I had taught on for years, and I had never paid attention to this. I'd never, you know, it was like glossed over in my brain as I went through it, because everybody loves the, the letters to the churches, the seven churches, right? And that's Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Everybody loves that, but even more, everybody loves the sixth letter. Oh, let that one be me, Church of Philadelphia. That's me, Lord. I'm the Church of Philadelphia. Everybody wants to be that. There were, I believe, two letters where there was nothing found wrong with the church at all. And he was just, Jesus, who wrote these letters, by the way, if you want to look that up, that's Revelation chapter 1. These are hand-penned by Jesus. This isn't done, you know, through through a man, or, or, or this isn't done uh, uh, through John. John was literally given these, it says, Okay, and that's why in in that you see the red, if you have a red letter edition, you see that it's red, because Jesus is the one who penned these. But there are two of these that that have no bad report, and then there's this one. Everybody wants to be in church Philadelphia, because of verse 10. Because in verse 10 it says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Oh, that's me, Lord. That's me. Keep me from that. That's good because that means the rapture. I'm looking for the clouds, looking for you to come in the clouds, come and get me. That's, that's what I believed. That's what I thought. I, there was nothing that was to happen before the Lord would come back and rapture his church. I don't believe that now. I don't believe that. Because verse 9, just before that verse, has never happened. And yet, it has to happen. It will happen. This is not something that can happen after we're in heaven. It cannot happen after the rapture. It has to be before the rapture. Remember, these letters are written to the church. This is not written to Israel. This is written to the church. Let's start back at at verse 7, which is the beginning of this letter. And this is Revelation chapter 2. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. To the church in Philadelphia 
And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. First of all, we could spend we could spend probably a month of Sundays just on this letter, just on peeling back and opening up what it says here, what Jesus says to his church. But I want to point out a few key things. First of all, Jesus is the only one that has the authority of the throneship of David. Now, if you think that doesn't apply to you, let me back up a second and help you to understand that the king of Israel, which is what that throne was, was prophesied to be the king of the world forever. Right? Forever. That's what Jesus would take on. That was the mantle that was placed on David, who we know was mortal, because he died. Peter talks about that. Paul talks about that. So, what Jesus did in being in the line of David, having the rightful heir to that throne, by that time, kings weren't around anymore because Israel was no longer a nation. Right? They were scattered. And Jesus, who paid the ultimate price with his life, he bought the right to open that door. So nobody could shut it. And that's what he says. That's the first thing I want to point out here to the church of Philadelphia. He opens this door. Now, by the way, these were seven actual churches in that day, which is interesting because it wasn't just seven churches. There were probably about a hundred churches at the time. So you have to wonder, okay, why did God pick out these, these seven? Why, Jesus, did you write letters to these seven? But as you dig into it, first of all, you do understand what's going on in that particular church at the time. But you have to understand that these apply to every single one of us. Every single one of us today, we can look at this and we can look at our relationship with the Lord and see where it fits in. And that's critical to understand. So the Lord opens this door. He said, behold, I know your works. I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know you have little power, but you have kept my word. 
That open door is the wedding of the bride. That open door is what was available right then when Jesus was on this earth, died, rose from the grave, went to sit at the right hand of his father. And that was the aspect of his kingdom, which we don't see, right? But he said, my kingdom has come. And what that open door is, is for his kingdom to be made manifest here on this earth. If you're not sure what that means, look at the book of Acts. That's what it talks about. That's what it talks about in terms of, of these miracles. That's what John was, or what Jesus was saying in the book of John when he said, you will do more than I have done. That's never happened before. It didn't happen in the book of Acts. It's never happened since. That means it's got to happen. And it will happen. This is the open door that Jesus opened when he ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit was sent. That Holy Spirit that we have, that we're given a measure of when we're saved. And then we can, by relationship, have the Holy Spirit poured out onto us. We have that open door to bring his kingdom manifest right here. That's what the miracles are. Why doesn't the church have that today? We have pieces of it. You know, we, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not belittling any of that. I'm just saying it's time. It's time for this to happen. But it will only happen through the unification of the bride. The unity of the bride. So he has opened this door. But then he makes this bold statement. This is what rocked my life. I will make, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, behold. Now, by the way, let's define who that is. And, and I'm not going to take the time because I do want to have time for questions here. But understand, I want you to dig into that. Dig into the Greek. Dig into what it means by synagogue of Satan. Okay? Who say they are Jews and are not. Kind of like saying, standing up. In an auditorium reading or quoting some scripture and saying that you believe it, but in your heart you do not. That's what I said earlier about Nancy Pelosi. But the sad thing is that's what you see in much of the bride. Where they will say they believe something, but they will not really believe it in their heart. They say they believe that Jesus will bring his recompense. They believe that Jesus will ready the bride. They believe that they will be taken through this time of trouble or whatever. They'll say it with their mouths, but then in their actions, they don't really believe it. These are who he's talking about. The, the word Jews there in the Greek is not talking specifically about Jews, by the way. If you look it up, it's talking about a, a national, um, 
to be a part of, if you, if you will, to be a part of a group. They're saying that they're part of the group, but they're not. They lie. Behold, I will make them come. These ones who have really been against you and said they're for you, I will make them come down and bow before your feet. That word bow there is, in the Greek, is literally to pay homage. To give respect. Okay? Think of it this way, and I've said it this way before. That's like the world giving respect to the church. And for this reason, and they will learn that I have loved you. In other words, that they will see that there really is a God. And that that God really loves his children. They will see that. See, this is talking about the bride. This can't happen after the rapture. You understand that? If the rapture happens, nobody of the bride is left here on earth for this to happen to. This has to come before. There has to be this great awakening and understanding that the Lord loves his bride and pours his love out to his bride before the rapture. And, and by the way, if you do have questions, just raise your hand. But I'm going to go on to another piece that proves that. And that is this idea of the rapture. This idea of the culmination of that happening at the end of the bride becoming ready. I want you to turn. By the way, this was another thing. I'm going to have you write this down. I'm not going to get into a lot. But I want you to study two passages of Scripture. One in Matthew, one in Luke. Okay, In Matthew, I'm going to give you... Two words that are different that shed a completely different light on what he's saying there. By the way, these are this is when Jesus is on Mount, Mount Olive and he gives what's called the Olivet Discourse. Okay, this is when Jesus he's up there and, and he's asked, "Well, tell us about the end times." And so Jesus tells them about the end times. That's called the Olivet Discourse. In Matthew, it's recorded, and then in Luke. It's recorded. And, I mean, very, very similar. A lot of similarities. There's the just, it's all based around the destruction of the temple, right? And, and what happens in that? The, the, uh, well, I, I won't get into that. But, but the point is, you have two very similar ways that it's talked about. But one word changes everything for both of them. I want you to turn to Matthew 24. And remember, in this, Matthew is writing to Jews. Matthew is a Jew. He is writing from the perception of a Jewish mind frame. Okay? He talks about the abomination of desolation. talks about the the destruction of the temple. He talks about the coming of the Son of Man in verse 29. 
He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of heaven will be shaken. So he talks about this coming of the Son of Man. This coming of Jesus Christ. He talks about that. Remember this word. Immediately after. Okay? Now I want you to go to Luke chapter 21. Now let's talk about who Luke is. Okay? Luke is a Gentile. Luke is not a Jew. In fact, he's the only Gentile that writes a book in the New Testament. And, and he, he wrote, actually, Luke and Acts, because they both go together. And they were written for Gentiles. It was written for this Gentile named Theophilus. We don't know who Theophilus is. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a, I, I don't even know. But, but we know he was a Gentile. So Luke is coming from the mind frame of a Gentile. Okay, that's important to understand. Now, Jesus, this is his rendition, if you will, of that same time frame, that same Olivet Discourse, that same where Jesus is telling what things are to come. Verse 10, then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines, pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, but before all this, then he goes on to say that there's going to be persecution. He goes on to say the destruction of the temple. He goes on to then say the coming of the Son of Man. Now, when I first saw this, it rocked me a little bit. Because all the things looked very similar, but the time frame. And the view in frame. That's what helped me to understand this. The view of the mind of Israel versus the view of the mind of the Gentile. We know that there is a time of the Gentiles. In fact, I, I referred to it last time. If you get a chance, go back to, I think it was September 29th or 30th, something like that, of 2019. And that was, that was the first time I preached on what the Lord had given me about the woes in the readying of the bride, the three woes. And we've already seen one, and we've just begun the second one. But he took me through this, and he helped me to understand the view from which it was coming. Right? The view of judgment. Now, let me, let me back this up and tell you what I believe. And I've shared this many times before. First of all, rabbis do not believe in, a, in prophecy just being a beginning and an end. Right? Prophecy can be cyclical. Prophecy can happen more than once. And, and doesn't mean it will happen more than, doesn't mean all prophecy just keeps happening more than once. That's not, that's not their point. That's not what they believe. But it, it has the, the capability, if you will. They don't look at it like, oh, well, that one's done. That's over with. No, it's, it's just like his justice. Jesus' justice will come about in cycles. You look at Israel and, and them as a country and how it would go in cycles. 
It would go in cycles based on how they would give themselves to the Lord. But there is, there is a time in, in these two examples that give this thought of the Gentiles. There is a time of the reading of the bride. Now, by the way, the Gentiles are not only expressed as non-Jewish. Okay, I, I don't want you in your mind to be thinking of Gentiles as non-Jew. Okay, Gentiles, when, when it talks about this time frame of the Gentiles, it talks about the time in which it's opened up for the Gentiles to come in to be adopted as sons and daughters. Right? Where the focus is on this mystery that Paul opens up. The focus is on this mystery of Gentiles being grafted in. And we, we talked about that a little bit, I believe, last week. The mystery that Paul talks about in it is in Ephesians 3. And I'll, I'll mention this real briefly. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, prisoner of Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, now, now by the way, this, was not, this is an important key. It was given to him by God. It was not something that he looked in the Old Testament and saw, oh yeah, you know what, uh, yeah, Gentiles are going to be grafted in. No, that would have been heretical. That's not what he saw. It was given to him by Jesus Christ, this mystery that was held silent in the Old Testament, okay, was given to him. And he says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men and other gener- generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I know, Jeff, you, before I moved on, you had, a, you had your hand up. Um, I don't want to move to a secondary part of that without you asking. Um, you may have explained this, but I was a little confused. So how does Matthew 24 and Luke 21 tie into Revelation 3.9? Okay. Um, yeah, this, that's why it just needs so much more time. I, I really would love to set up a time. Maybe Maybe we could do it over a... Uh, gifts meeting or something, but where where we have several hours to be able to just discuss this, um, it's it's more about view. It's more about view. You have you have two different renditions in Luke and in Matthew of the coming of the Son of Man. You have two different renditions of understanding, even in the destruction of the temple. Remember, the temple was destroyed. Okay, it was destroyed in A.D. 70, okay, which, which is partly what was being talked about here. But it will be destroyed again. First of all, it will be rebuilt, and it will be re-destroyed again. We know that in the tribulation, 
part of what happens is that there is a treaty with Israel. Part of that treaty is that the, the temple will be rebuilt. Okay, and they will think that everything's good because of this pact that they have with the enemy, with the Antichrist at that time. The reason we know that it will be rebuilt again is because of the fact that Jesus said, and if you read through these two passages, he says it in both. Um, He says, no stone will be left upon the other. Okay, that's not happened yet. Yes, the, the temple was destroyed in AD 70, but we still have the Western Wall, which was the Western Wall of the of the temple, okay, that, that is still there, but yet Jesus said it will be destroyed to where no stone will be left upon, upon the other. Now, if you look at both stories, it talks about when Jesus Christ, when the Son of Man comes, when the day of the Lord comes, and, and the day of the Lord is not just about Jesus' coming, it's about his wrath. It is about what, what, um, what brings about that reading, right? It, it's, it's about the, the times, and, and it, it, with, without really getting into it too much, it's even the ten days of darkness, right? It, it's the wrath in showing those who would follow him that he fights for them. He fights literally for the righteousness that they cry out for, in this world, the righteousness that even creation cries out for. So the picture of these two passages is very similar, but from a different perspective. You've got a, a Gentile perspective of this reading. You've got a Gentile perspective of the destruction of the temple. You've got a Gentile perspective of the coming of the Son of Man. You've got a Gentile perspective of even, even the, the, uh, his justice or judgment, his wrath that comes. And then Matthew gives you a, sa- a, a perspective of the same things, but through a Jewish mindset. Through that Jewish mindset, that's what we're mostly familiar with. Because of the mystery, our familiarity is with Israel's point of view. That's why in the bride it's so easy to say, well, that doesn't really apply to me. You know, that doesn't apply to me. And and now with all these things kind of happening and and all these things coming about, and especially all the different prophets that are saying these things that that are in agreement and happening in in agreement with the word of God, it's, it's like, it's like, Okay, I'm confused. This must be the tribulation. Because our perspective has always been Israel and what he wants to do with Israel. And that does not belittle what he is doing with Israel. That does not belittle any of the promises he has made to Israel. He will fulfill every single one of those. But the mystery is that the Gentiles or the bride was brought into that same promise. The bride was brought into that same promise. And so this gives us two different perspectives of what is going to happen. The Gentile perspective is what will culminate in Revelation 3, verse 9. Does, it, does that answer your question? It doesn't answer, but it helps. Okay. <laughs> 
Okay. Okay. All right. Is there a different question off of that then? Okay. I want you to turn. Uh, let me see. Where is it? Jesus talked about this mystery. And then he talks about this mystery coming to a conclusion in the days of the final trumpet, which that we do read in Revelation. But I want you to turn Revelation chapter 10. Now, where we are, and we've said this over the last couple of weeks, we had the first woe, which, which is a foreshadowing of what we read in Revelation chapter 9. It was a five-month period, 150-day period, okay? And, and then, hold on, I'll, I'll get you in one second. And then it goes to later in that chapter where it, it goes into a second woe. What we are in now, what we experienced in the beginning of 2020 of last year, and what we are about to experience in the next three and a half years is a foreshadowing of what is written here. Think about it this way. It is a Gentile view of what is coming in the reading of the bride. It's a Gentile view of his justice. Yes, um, some, whoever has the microphone, hand it to her. I was just going to go back a little bit because what Jeff was talking about. Um, in um, Matthew, it is speaking to Israel of what is to happen to him them. What I believe in Luke, it, it, speaking of the church, which actually includes, but it's it's uh, it's it's different as bride that it's speaking to, and what will happen there, but that it you know I mean it's uh, a foreshadowing is what I I get out of it. I I am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, and I apologize when you were saying that, when you were referring to Jeff, I was, I was asking the Lord about something else, so um, I think I heard most of what you said. Okay. <laughs> Does that help anymore? No, 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 I've got no yes. Okay. And, and I know this format is kind of a strange format to have this in, but, but what the, when I asked the Lord about that, the Lord said, you're a family, and the family needs to know. And so my thought was, okay, do we set up a whole separate day, you know, to sit and talk about this, or do I do it on a Sunday morning? And he told me this morning to do it this morning. So I do understand that the format is a little bit awkward, but the information is critical. The information is critical for you to understand whether you ask the questions now or ask the questions later doesn't matter. But if you have questions and ask now, it might be to the benefit of others who have the same question. But it is important that we get this. It's important, not, not in the details of what's coming down, but if you don't understand the, the, the situation in which we're in and what God is doing, it can really wreak havoc on your life. It can wreak havoc in fear. 
It can wreak havoc in, in even understanding what the Word of God says. So it's important to understand these things. It's, it's important for, and I, and I mean for you to understand them. Not, not just for certain people to understand them. It's, it's important for me to understand them for myself, right? No different than it being important for you to understand them for yourselves as well. So, so I want you, Paul goes and he talks about, and, we, and we'll turn there in a second, talking about the culmination of the reading of the bride, Okay, coming after what what was said in Revelation three nine, that has to happen again before before the rapture, right? Because it can't happen after the rapture. It has has to happen before. It's never happened before. But in that process of that happening, we come to a point where it's done, where the bride is ready, where where everything is complete. And it culminates in the rapture. But I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 10. And John here talks about that. In verse 7 it says, But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel. In other words, the very last trumpet. There were seven trumpets. The very last one. The mystery of God will be fulfilled. Just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Okay, now let's look at what that is. Let's look at what that seventh trumpet is. Turn to chapter 11, verse 15 of Revelation. This is the seventh trumpet. I've shared it before. When we read through this, this is one of the things that doesn't really seem to fit in the book of Revelation. If you have a mind frame in Revelation being all about Israel and only about what God is going to do to Israel... Or for Israel's sake, this is going to confuse you because it has nothing to do with Israel. Nothing at all. Verse 15, the seventh trumpet. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. In other words, picture it like this. The kingdom of God, which is what we talked about, that's that open door, that door that he has opened, that he, he is the only one that can shut, that has finally merged, right, and become the kingdom of this earth. Clearly that hasn't happened. <laughs> Clearly we don't live in that kingdom manifest on this earth right now, right? Would you all agree with me on that? Okay, but he is saying in the culmination of this seventh trumpet, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worship God, which, by the way, that is an indicator of what this is. The 24 elders represent the church. The 24 elders are not Jewish. In fact, there are three times in the Word of God when someone is called a king and a priest. It is Melchizedek, which was a theophany of Christ. It is Jesus Christ himself. And it's his bride. And the elders are those who is part of his bride. Anyways... They say, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged. 
but your wrath came. And the time for the end, for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for the destroying, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then in God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of the covenant was seen within the temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So the seventh trumpet, what that is, that third woe, the seventh trumpet is the same as the third woe, if, if you read there. The third woe is the reading of the bride. It is that the nations raged. Right? First of all, this is about the bride. The nations raged. And Jesus, through his wrath, through his justice, brought recompense to the nations. And that culminates in Revelation 3.9. In the world literally seeing the love that God has for his children. Does that make sense? Does that... You understand that? So in this seventh trumpet, I want you to turn one other place because it ends in what we've been talking about and waiting for as the final culmination of being ready. It ends with 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to begin at verse 50 where Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit, or nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. And I, I won't go any further. But Paul talks about here that in that moment of the bride being ready is when he comes and takes us to be with him. That is what we call the rapture. That's when the bride is fully ready. That's after Revelation 3, 9 happened. After the world saw the favor that God has on his children and literally pay respect to the world, I mean to the church, because of that love that the father has for his children. Same thing, by the way, that happens in the thousand year reign of Christ. Same exact thing. No different. That's why we talk about a foreshadowing. That's why we talk about a, a mirror image of something happening that is also going to happen later. And, and you wonder, okay, well, why, why, why is God separating Israel and, and the bride? Why? It's because Israel denied him. When they denied him and put him on the cross, their hearts were then hardened, Jesus said. Their hearts were made hard to even believe. And to this day, they have not believed as a nation. Individually, they still have choice. They still have choice. You, you, have, you have millions and millions of Jews that believe in Jesus as the Messiah. 
They're called Messianic Jews. They are Jewish, but they are part of the bride. The bride is their identification. A child of God is their identification, not a child of Abraham. Do you understand the difference? There's a big difference there. So why would God do this pathway for his children, the bride, and it looks so much like the pathway for Israel? It's because of Romans 11.11. Because he will use that to make them jealous. They will see all the things that have been prophesied over them. They will see it happening. Which, by the way, there is a cost to that. The cost is his justice. Because the reading of the bride, Revelation 3.9, does not come without us walking in purity. It doesn't come without the bride being in unity. And we're far from that. I mean, quite honestly, a lot of the bride doesn't even get along. Let alone be unified. So what changes that? Desperation. Desperation changes that. You could call it justice. You could call it judgment. You could call it the wrath of God. You could call it whatever you want. But what it brings is desperate hearts who want him will always shine out of that. That will be their reaction. Our reaction to what is going on in the world right now is critical. It's critical in trusting him. It's critical even in understanding what he says. And, and I, I know we're late, but I, I do want to... Are there any other questions about that? Yes. Uh, go ahead and give, give Rich the... So let me go back to... Uh, you mentioned this second woe. Three and a half year period started August. Mm-hmm. Now, you're, and you've also mentioned just a few moments ago about the purifying of the bride, getting us to come together, unification. Is that going to be happening in this second one, this three and a half year period? That's a great question. <laughs> and perhaps, you know when you press into the Lord, if he gives you more detail than he's given me, we can share it together. What I can tell you what I believe from it. Um, I know the result of it is, is eventually Revelation 3.9. It is, it is the unification of, of the bride. What I do believe is happening in this three and a half year period is the understanding of... God and relationship with him and how that must be first. So what it looks like at the end of this three and a half years, God has said many things about. You know, we know that this this also has to do with the ten days of darkness. Okay, he said coming out of that ten days of darkness will be light like they saw at creation. You know, like the angels saw at creation, because man wasn't around yet. So, I can't profess to say I know what that looks like, but I can only imagine that it is a predominantly different paradigm than what we have now going in. 
because we're we're so we're so separated as as a grand church as an overall church. I do believe that the three and a half years is to unify us. And then just one more point to that, Greg, is the three and a half years covering this war, pestilence, and natural disaster, is that in this world we're in now? That is. Okay. Yeah. If, if you look, at, and, and again, the Lord said it's foreshadowing, but if you look at the latter half of chapter 9, it breaks down the, the destruction that is in that. It breaks it down into three categories, if you will. Um, and and that's this, that is part of the foreshadowing the Lord said was the same. Is, is that it's broken down, down into three categories. Now, to me, the three categories are pretty generic. You know, so, I mean, you could fit just about anything in, into those. So, so let me, I'll, I'll finish with this one. Mm-hmm. So, with these three categories, where does the church or the bride fall in that, in that issue, in these three issues that are coming on the earth? Where what's going to happen to us in that time? How how does the bride survive, yeah. if you will? Yeah. Um, that's what I believe the Lord had me read at the beginning. And hold on here, let me pull it up again. In Ezekiel chapter nine, yeah. okay. it was said, if you remember, he was told, "Go out and place a mark on those." And, and the wording's interesting. He, he didn't say um, the, those who do something. He said those who, who have an adverse reaction to the sin that is going on. Yes. Place a mark on their foreheads. Yes. Place a mark on them so they will be protected. What I do believe is, is you know, Psalm 91, God is still our protection. Right when we press into Him, when when we do not choose to press into Him, then we do not take on His His protection. Right? right. We can, we can choose to do things that put us in harm's way. Right? If I see a tornado and I run into it, okay, well that was kind of my choice. Right? Yes. We can make choices of our own because God will never take away our choice. But things that are not our choice, when we walk in him, I do believe that we're coming into a period of time where, where there will be protection placed on those whom hearts are for him. We can trust in that. We can be excited about that. I do believe that it does not mean that the protection is simply because you're saved. Simply because you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart. And the reason I say that is because the letter to the church of Laodicea with, with the lukewarm being spit out. Okay, they were saved. They, they, they knew Jesus Christ as Savior, but let, yet they lived their lives for themselves. When we build relationship with him and we live our lives as a yes for what he wants, then there is that protection for us. Absolutely. Now, the only thing I will say that can confuse people, it certainly can confuse me, is there are people that are called to these things. Paul was called to a really tough life. He was called ultimately to be a martyr. 
So, so were the other apostles, all except for John. We know in the end times there will be many that are martyrs. I don't know if it looks the same in the foreshadowing. I, I know it does for Israel. Right? We know it. It says it. In, in fact, the martyrs go and plead before God, when will we be vindicated? But the truth is, I believe we already have it. I think that's what's happening in Afghanistan right now. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, a purifying the bride. So I look at Afghanistan, and initially, those dirty, rotten Taliban. I mean, I just got so angry inside. But the Holy Spirit stopped me, and I started to remember things that you guys were sharing with us about not cursing, because that curse can come back on you. But look. The Taliban are in darkness. Jesus Christ died for them. He loves them. And my heart is in turn now to pray for them, that they will come to the knowledge of Christ and what he's done for them and not let anger rise up in me. Lord, forgive me for that. And give me a heart to see them through your eyes and to pray for them. To me, there is a purifying of my heart that's taking place in that. My heart's becoming more like Jesus' heart. A long way to go, but it's a work that's going on. Is can we say this is some of that purification that's underway? I, I think so, absolutely. And and what I would say is is see Jesus. He doesn't just do things blanket, you know. For like here, I'll I'll apply this, and everybody, you know, just kind of do it this way, and and it applies. You know, he's very personal in what he does. Very personal, um, because I I would I would say that's actually where I was. The Lord has me in a different place now, um, not a place of hatred for the Taliban, not at all, um, because every single person that the Lord created has the hope of redemption. It's their choice. But there comes a place in time, and I believe this is where we are, where the Lord moves in such a way that it brings his righteousness. It brings his purification. It, it literally will bring the unity of the bride. It's, it's not, because I, I used to pray this way, and, and you probably identify with this. This was my whole life. Um, I remember when Bill Clinton got in office, and that was just devastating to me. I remember praying, Lord, Lord, just save his soul. Save him. Lord, bring him to a knowledge of you. Help him to be saved. That's all I prayed. And, and yet I never understood David's reaction. Lord, kill him. Literally, take him from the throne. They, they take your name and they drag it through the dirt. You couldn't get two more opposing views. And yet, when you're dealing with redeemable people, all I can say is, I'm, I'm just thankful I'm not God. Because that's a tough choice. And what the Lord has said 
in me inquiring with him about this is he said he leaves the door open for them until the door is closed. You know, that's like Confucius. You know, it's like, okay, that really kind of answers my question, but it doesn't help. Because we know there was a point at which the door was closed. For Pharaoh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart and kept it hardened, right? God did that. That wasn't Pharaoh that did that. God did that. To a redeemable person, God will leave the door open until it is not time to leave it open anymore. It is based on their choice. It is based on the Taliban's choice. They can see the wrong of what they do. They can see that they don't believe in the right God. That door is open to them. But then you have the flip side and you have the cries of those who are suffering under their thumb. Every time Israel cried out, the Lord listened. And apart from the justice of his timing, he vindicated. He always did. When they would cry out as a nation for him, how much more or how much the same will he do that for us? I, I believe where we are right now, as a nation and as the world, for that matter, as a bride, is there have been enough in the bride, passionately in love with Jesus, saying, Lord, we want your promises for him to say it's time and he'll move. So does that answer your question? Yes. I hope. Yes. Thank you. Are there any other questions? Yeah. I know we're running late here, but. Okay. Um, okay, so in readying the bride, um, basically what you are saying is preparing and the Lord going through and seeing who is seeking him and, and going after him, going after a relationship with him. And there will be the woes, but it's not the same as like in Revelation 3.10, when it talks about the, the, the Lord will save them out and they will be raptured. But Revelation 3.10, you know, from what happens during the tribulation, mm -hmm. uh, because it's very clear that he says that he, they, will, they will be kept, my word, about patient endurance, uh, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. Right. Even though this is on the whole world, it, it has really more to do with well, yeah, let me, let me give you a thought about that, because where, where I was on that was that was keeping us from the tribulation. And, that, and that's what I'm sure most believe. That's how I grew up. That's how I taught and studied and everything else. And it was not until this week that the Lord showed me a different paradigm about that. I don't believe that verse 10 has anything to do with the rapture. 
because I don't think it's referring to the trouble that will be seen in the tribulation. Because the letters to the churches have nothing to do with the tribulation. Right? That all ends before the tribulation comes. So what I believe verse 10 is talking about is what we're going through right now. In fact, that's, there's a better answer for your question, Rich, about this three and a half years and how we'll, we, we will be protected. It is answered in Revelation 3 verse 10. It is those who have built this relationship, those who have, have given everything to the Lord in building that, in being close with him, walking in that purity that he will protect. He says, I will literally take you out of that. How he does that, I have no idea. I have no idea, except that during this three and a half years, I don't think it's about us hiding or him hiding us. I think it's just the opposite. I think it's that he will use us to show the hope. That, that really coincides with what the Lord has been saying about, and you've, you've heard it from many different prophets, about this billion soul harvest, about this revival that's coming. How do you have a revival in the midst of judgment? Well, I would say, how do you have a real revival without it? I mean, I, I, think, I think that's a natural cause from the judgment that comes. So, so yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing. And he, he pointed that out this week, that that's really applying to what is now. Because it has to do with the bride. Anybody else? I know, I know we're running real late. Anybody else? Alex, come on up then. And, and I really want to encourage you. I know we've touched on a few things here. Dive into this um, because it is not the purpose for you to believe me. It is the purpose for you to take what you hear and as the Bereans did in Acts 17.11, to study that yourself, to go to the Lord yourself in your relationship with him. Ask him to show you truth because he's the one you have to follow. He's the one who will reveal truth to you. So we're going to close in prayer. Um, and I just want to encourage you also to read that word again. Um, you will have to trust me for your very sustenance. You will have to trust me for every family member. Um, the word that was released um, that goes in line with all of the scripture is very, very serious. And some of us, you know, when you look at it from a paradigm of, of excitement, First of all, my mind is blown that we're living in a time like this. We are, we are called to a time when the bride is ready that's amazing. But also, um, the only thing that gives me tremendous hope is I'm about to see who my God really is. Many of us have been through terrible things, but none of us have been through what we're about to go through. Well, God gets to show up in a, an amazing way. The more fiery the trial the more great your God, right? We get to see truly, is he the deliverer that we sing about? Is he, is he the miracle worker, the way maker? You know, like all these things that we sing. And we, we, he makes a way through traffic. You know, he makes a way, you know, and we have a cold. And, but it's like, but, but does he make a way when a gun's to your head? Like, does he make a way? When you're denied access to every place you go to because you don't have a vaccination card. You've not agreed with, you know, 
That's another whole subject we will not address this morning. But I mean, those are things that we just don't understand in this Western world. So, um, so God is good, and He's about to show His glory. And uh, look at the contrast. I'll look at the contrast in Acts um, and just see they, the miracles were in, in the midst of the persecution. So it all depends on what you want to take from Acts. And um, but God is good. So Father, let's just let's just pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, God, for your greatness, God, for calling us and allowing us to be here for such a time as this. We could have been born at any other time in history, and yet you have called us to now, to this time, where we are on the earth during a time that is spoken of in your word, this beautiful readying of your bride, this purification of the bride that you deserve, God. Let us rise up and be the army, God, that will bring forth by your spirit the billion soul harvest, this end times great awakening, God, that so many have talked about in decades past. But God, here it is upon us. And God, give us the strength, Lord, open our eyes to see you for who you really are. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And just like the word that you released last, last week, God, and, and I thank you for how you've confirmed it so amazingly through people we don't even know. You just, you've confirmed your word. But God, thank you that as the dark days get darker, we will become, we will inhabit as, as we choose and give you our yes, we will inhabit the light that is you, that will shine through us, God, to make a difference, Lord. And so, God, I just pray that you would help us to do, um, as Wendy had talked about in um, the recent Tuesday night service, God, to dig deep into this, Lord, that we might know for ourselves with you, that we might hear your voice, God, and know uh, what you want from us, what you want of us, God, and and just, just to receive your love as well, Lord, because... Oh, man, the power that comes from just knowing who we are because of your love is so amazing. So I just praise you. Drive this word home as long as it is today, Lord. I just pray that you'd allow it to be just retained and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.